Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today we have a very special guest, uh, one whom I met at uh, PPS recently in uh, Colorado. And our guest today is Brad Saunders. Welcome to the podcast here, Brad. Thanks for having me, Chad. Great. And uh, I, I got the pronunciation of your last name right there. That Good. is correct. Saunders. Great. Um, and just before we get started here, Brad, can you just go through and introduce yourself, how long you've been a PT, your current role, how long you've been with the company, where you're at in the world? Yeah, um, I am in my 11th year as a physical therapist and went to PT school at the University of South Carolina. I ended up picking it to stay on the East Coast, but wanted a really small, unique program. And at the time, they were only taking 18 students a year. And I loved the individual and kind of hands-on effort that they gave me throughout the curriculum. And that's really what inspired my overall uh, love of the orthopedic outpatient side and the private practice side. So it kind of was, was early on in that, that I really uh, knew that's where I wanted to be. I actually spent my first couple of years after graduation trying to get debt and everything else in check and worked a lot more stroke and traumatic brain injury. Um, and then have been pretty much in the outpatient side since and just kind of worked my way up through um, I've been fortunate enough to practice in eight or nine different states now, uh, have been in management in the Delaware, Maryland areas, and uh, then relocated back to South Carolina for my current role with Carolina PT um, as the practice manager, kind of uh, overseeing uh, all the operations for our uh, staff of about 90 uh, for, for our company. That's great. So uh, practice management, you're into that right now. And I, I want to talk about RTM just to give us an idea, 90, um, 90 team members, employees, how many offices? Uh, are we in? are across 10 sites. Okay, great. Uh, um, yeah, we're at a very similar number in my own practice. So uh, we'll be able to relate very well. And uh, so RTM, I uh, want to talk about that. Can you just... We've talked about it here before, but for the listeners who don't know, um, can you go through what it is and then also think back maybe six months to a year ago, what were you trying to solve when you started looking at RTM and the different options that were available in the market? Yeah, well, going back 12 months ago, I I wouldn't have known what the letters RTM even were. <laughs> so we are uh, talking about remote therapeutic monitoring, and it's really what I've spent a good portion of 2022 trying to study and learn a little bit more about and really it comes from uh some changes to cms guidelines to make kind of a, a an affordable option towards uh uh being able to contact track patients uh and you know surprisingly in in much of our field where things are being restricted and removed and taken away um this was actually a nice surprising addition over the last year where we're looking at um, trying to monitor patients outside of therapy to help maintain their compliance with their exercises. Uh, and basically it has been, uh, you know, a, a little bit of trial and error to kind of learn that from a practice standpoint and implementation standpoint, 
but you know, we started uh, in the springtime starting to investigate some different options for us in terms of uh, you know having that general supervision, but having you know an interactive communication with the patient uh, after they leave our clinic, and really that can be done uh, via phone call or two-way visual audio communication. You know, texting isn't appropriate as it isn't considered like a, a live access. Um, but what we quickly learned is that there was others from the technology side, which is the other rare uh, you know, amalgamation here in healthcare that we you know, are facing, which is healthcare tends to be about 15 years behind the technology curve and documentation curve. But uh, we had a lot of vendors and uh, you know, startups uh, being created to help be at the forefront of this to to offer apps and online tracking and other ways to assist the therapist in clinic to monitor the patients. And Chad, really where this kind of stemmed from was kind of going back to your smartwatches, your iPhone watches and Samsung watches and everything else that you uh, that that the people have started to use to track their own health data. So this is another way for. Uh, you know, big data to be involved from the government and healthcare side. That's great. So just to summarize, what you seem to be saying is with Medicare, with many insurances, some things have been taken away, whether it's revenue or uh, caps on what we can provide via therapy. You you heard and learned about remote therapeutic monitoring um, as a way to augment essentially the care that you're delivering within the clinic um, on behalf of uh, so, um, on behalf of your your practice, and um, st- so you started exploring that. And I think, at least in the beginning, from what I can read here in your prep, Brad, that you you looked at quite a few different companies. Yeah, I won't throw them all under the bus for the good and bad. In fact, more of them were were uh, good than than not. Um, some were just a little bit further along in their organization and kind of their their sales ability. Uh, there was three that we ended up beta testing uh, earlier this year, and they each kind of had their positives and negatives. Um, one of them was a little bit more, uh, you know, ease of access for the therapist, and I I think that that's a big selling point when you're always overbearing your staff with um, more documentation and you know more insurance hoops to jump through and. Uh, being able to track different CPT codes and what's being denied. And I, I think the more that you can take off your therapist's plate is, is was a big selling point for us early on. We wanted to be able to you know, offer this, but not really make it taxing on the therapist. So I, I think that's what we tended to gravitate towards, um, something that could be a little bit more comprehensive and, and over-involved and you know, get feedback on. So we went with three different parties to uh, for, for short times to just kind of uh, go through and, and test what their offerings were. Uh, two of them were through an app and one was through the internet. Okay, great. So the, you started talking about this already, but the decision-making process, I think is where you could help the, the most owners, how to think through, because you know many of us, as we're exploring this, um, and I'll share actually how I got to you uh, <laughs> here for everybody. So when we first heard about remote therapeutic monitoring and I began reading it, um, the first thing that I did was um, I went to a few billing companies and I simply asked, who's billing the most RTM codes that you know of? And to be fair, it was pretty anemic. 
So not at least at the time, as little as as short as six months ago, almost nobody was billing out yet. So you're exactly right. It is very early. Um, We're in that early adoption or um, really innovation stage right now. And so we we went there and then I just started asking um, the companies, the vendors that offering that offer RTM, who do you know that's using this the best? And this is the Ray Kroc McDonald's milkshake uh, analogy, you know, basically how Ray Kroc found the McDonald's brothers is they bought eight milkshake machines at the same time. I said, I want to learn from the best. Eventually, I swam upstream to Limber and they said, uh, you need to meet Brad because they have rolled this out. And I want you to start, um, or eventually, Brad, we're going to talk about how you're using this and also how you thought through the rollout. Before we do that, is there anything else in the decision-making process other than ease of burden on the therapist that you used in your decision-making process to end up with Limber? Um, yeah, and I, I think some of it has, even since then, has turned out to not be as overall accurate. But where I was from a standpoint um, earlier this summer was listening to some compliance seminars, you know, your, your um, Ellen Strunks, your, your Rick Gawenda's, and just kind of the future of, uh, you know, where MIPS was going, what PQRS is going that I've lived through, um, you know, that, that I've seen that and just going, okay, as we know that they're phasing it out and we're, um, you know, getting towards, uh, you know, some, some different opportunities in the coming years of what they're going to do to take advantage for, you know, CMS pivots to more of a data driven thing and what the next thing is going to be. I started to want to know, okay, where, where are we going? I, I don't want to be reactive. I don't want to be on the negative side of this. I can't afford to take additional payment losses. So what can I do to kind of be ahead of the tide and stem the flow? Um, part of that going back to the PTA cuts across the board um, last January. And, you know, I, I never expected to replace 15%, you know, cut for the PTAs or even the 3% sequestration, but every little bit that we can, um, you know, still maintain and, and, and keep those, keep those margins up is really what we're, we're trying to do. So that I think that I almost sarcastically go, okay, well then the next thing that CMS is going to do is they're going to offer me an incentive like they did with MIPS to enroll and participate as a group. And now they're going to do this with this new thing, remote therapeutic monitoring. And maybe it's a carrot for a while with an incentive, but I could view it eventually becoming the stick and that becomes the next deduction. So if you're not doing it, so I'd rather adapt now to that. And, uh, you know, I think that was what I was looking at from a practice management standpoint, even before the, the rollout was how I got to the point of discovering it and then finding it. And then, you know, <clears throat> in addition to looking at um, ease of access for the therapists, I wanted to have transparent billing that I knew was being accurate because if you're bringing in a third party, but you're still the culpable party for, you know, your billing and your, you know, your responsibility for that, you want to make sure that the units are accurate. Um, so you want to know, have transparency in the system and how the data is delivered to you. And then ultimately you want to know um, with a remote therapeutic monitoring, who's on the other end, if you're going to partner with a company, um, you know, are they using a PT? Are they using a PTA? Are they using an athletic trainer? 
Um, what are your what are your billing statutes within that? And how does that clinician represent you as a company too? And do you have any control over that? Yeah, great. So you, you touched on something uh, important there at the end that I, I'd like you to expand on a little bit, but some companies, at least the uh, companies that are doing RTM via an app, at least what I've seen is that burden often falls back on the treating clinician. So if I'm in your clinic and you're treating me for my shoulder and now I'm, we we have a relationship or you're providing RTM services to me, sometimes that burden falls on you, the, the treating therapist. In other situations, and I know the way that Limber operates is they have a clinician dedicated for the practice in handling um, the the at home treatment. So can you talk through that a little bit? Because I think that falls in line or in alignment with your um, easing the burden on the the therapist as well. Yeah, I, and I'll just talk. These aren't necessarily the most accurate numbers, but just to keep it as a whole number, say an RTM patient's worth a hundred dollars. Um, you can find any amount of involvement in an app where you pay for fee for service to just access the app. And then how you try to obtain that $100 is solely on you as the, the clinic and the practitioner, all the way up to um, you know more of a comprehensive company like Limber, where they'll hire the staff for you, but there's a cost share where you don't get the whole $100, but um, you get a percentage of that that's that's kind of shared in the revenue for things. So, you know, we we did do some of our one of our beta test companies was more on us where we would bill out for what we saw. We were the ones responsible for tracking the the patients, monitoring and compliance. And I guess I'll step back for a second, Chad, and say that what I mean by that is the definition for remote therapeutic monitoring um, in order to be able to bill it out is in a calendar month, the patient needs to complete their home exercise program 16 out of 30 days or more than half the time. And you have to have documentation that supports that you've had contact with them, that they've gotten feedback, that if they're having pain, that you've helped adjust that. Um, so there's, there's almost like, you know, minor notations. It's not full like soap notes, but that you're just keeping a log of the days and the times, the interactions, and that you have a way to know that they're you know, following that home exercise program. Um, some of that with these apps and companies can be more on you and they just give you an app or like an HEP to go type style thing to provide the patient, but then it's on you to help track. There's some that we, there's one that we beta tested that was a wearable device that the patient could click on. And when they did their exercises, it would track how long that it was monitoring them, following their heart rate, you know, following their motions. It could even track, um, it could even track some of the, uh, some of the you know three-dimensional movements if they were up over their head or or how far their their range of motion or uh, you know anything from the the kinematic side could could be there. But then there's also a cost associated with that. So if they don't return the wearable when it's done, then that's kind of on is that on the clinic to eat that cost? Do you have to go chase that down from the patient? Do you have to? Uh, you know, have uh, the patient bring it back? Are you giving that cost to the patient upfront and then reimbursing them when they return it? Uh, and that was really where we didn't just have the logistics of people sitting around all day to hand out wearables to patients and, and follow it. But that was another, that's another potential model that exists out there. Um, that That's a lot more, I think, 
you know, that has a lot more data points for things. But the sweet spot for us kind of became more of a limber where we could uh, have a hired clinician that would work for us uh, in the state of South Carolina where we are and is licensed in the state and works for us remotely. And her job is to be in contact and make those RTM service calls and two-way visual audio communication um, and, and mainly through the app to make sure that the patients are being compliant. And then she kind of reports back to us. Great. You had talked about the beta testing and I know for many uh, either practice managers, owners, directors, et cetera, when we're thinking about changing something, change management it is a bear. So we were doing things one way and now we're going to switch and do something another way. So whether it's changing EMR systems or changing billing companies or uh, changing the way we're laying out our schedule, whatever it might be, there's usually at least some resistance, if not a lot of resistance to that change. And it, uh, at least looking at the numbers, you've been extremely successful here in rolling that out. How did you think through that? How did you do it? Can you talk through that process, Brad? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, one of my former supervisors, um, you know, as I grew into a supervisory role, he always said that, you know, you are the, the head of the flock and, and they are your sheep. And even when you're, you're upset, you know, you, you have to look out and take care of the flock and you have to view everybody as kind of the individuals and meet them where they at, are at. Um, you know, you have those that are going to be willing to embrace change and, uh, you know, be the first ones at the forefront of the next technology and the best way to research something and implement it to the staff. And then you have those that'll fight every change along the way. Um, you know, I, I, you have to meet all of the clinicians where they're at when you're overhauling your EMR or trying to, uh, you know, implement RTM. Uh, you know, I, I think that for us that we, we, I, I talked to them a little bit about, I, I see this is really the future. I had a candid discussion with all of our staff up front via emails and, uh, you know, virtual calls to just be like, you know, I, I think this is really where we're going to be going. I, I don't think this is, you know, a, a flash in the pan. Um, you know, if it was, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't start with being backed by insurance. That would be the long haul climb and the back door up to everything. I think that that's where they're ready to pivot and kind of continue to things. I think we've seen commercial uh, insurers roll out, you know, non-certified clinicians that aren't therapists trying to provide musculoskeletal advice to to keep people out of urgent cares and and other things, and uh, you know, incentivize that during the healthcare plans. So I, I think that if you just looked at the big picture and you talked to your therapists on hey, don't worry about you as an individual yet. We'll work on that with you, but just look at it from a global scale, not even a company scale. This is really where the industry is, a component of the industry is going to be heading. Um, so you know, I, I, what can we do now on a small scale is we can increase our ability to have our patients uh, you know, improve their compliance with home exercise programs. I, I think everybody can agree, You know, most therapists, you get into the field because they want to help people. Um, so, so you know, you're you're really trying to increase that ability to access people and uh, you know meet them where they're at. As, as our deductibles and our cost shares go up to attend therapy, you know, 
if you have those patients that can only afford to come once a week, well, do you think they're really doing their exercise? Which percentage of them are doing their exercises? You may have more data than me, Chad, on that. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's probably a lower percentage. So if you can help the ones that are on the fence or less motivated actually stick with it and start to feel better, I think they're more likely to buy into you for the long term. And, and, you know, when I was doing staff treating every day, nothing made me happier than having a repeat patient that came back in the door and asked for me as a clinician. So if you can help them buy in and you're a part of their, their healing, then they want to come back and see you. And that's how I met my clinicians on the individual level for, for being able to do that. Great. Were there any pitfalls, barriers, obstacles that you had to overcome in the rollout, or you sent some emails, you did some Zoom calls, and then everybody was on board? Um, no, no. I, and it's still, it's still a growth process. I mean, we're in the first year of this. Um, you know, the, I, I think that the, the good thing is, is that no matter, you know, if it's a limber or another RTM company that seems to suit your practice well, that they're young enough that most of these companies can pivot very easily. They're not you know, multi-thousand employee clinics that, that can't adapt to you. So I think they're, if it's a good company you're working with, they'll be responsive to your feedback. That's what my experience has been. Um, and I think that, that you know, that's, that's what's helped correct some of our uh, issues along the way. But, but no, I think that it's, I still have clinicians that photocopy the exercise cards and hand those to patients as their home exercise program. Not many, but there's still some that prefer to do that. And then you have some that like to look up YouTube videos and send links to patients. And then you have ones that are doing TikTok and you have others that are doing home exercise program to go. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing has been able to try to bring all of that under one umbrella to try to say, okay, why don't we just all learn one way at the same time to be able to deliver the home exercise program, print the home exercise program, use it through an app and track the patient for that. So I, I think that that has been one of the big obstacles is getting everybody to break those longstanding habits. Um, you know, we've, I, I think almost virtually every clinician has enrolled one person now. So even the ones that for the first few months were kind of like, yeah, let's see if this really works or not. Um, I, I think that they've, all kind of come around to the idea that it's not going away and it's really had a net positive feedback from all the patients. So I think it's kind of sold itself in that way. Um, you know, I, I think that it's uh, in its current state, my other big obstacle is that the, you know, we're, we're limited in what insurances still participate. So, you know, you can use it as a home exercise program still for, for some of these patients um, or for your cash-based patients but you're not going to get reimbursed from uh, you know, insurance back on that. So you can still use the platform, but it's not you know, paying dividends. But then again, going to YouTube wasn't either. Sure. Yep. Um, I had a comment on YouTube. That I, <laughs> well, I, only because uh, I, at one point yeah. I put quite a few videos out there. And, uh, but it, it's, it's very hard for a clinic to have that initiative. I want to talk about the bell curve. You talked about um, every clinician that you have has at least had one patient now go through R2, RTM, which is amazing, only because we're going through this as well. And I know how um, challenging it is to get everybody to adopt. So well done there. Can you talk about any Uber users that you have who are just crushing it? And more importantly, 
how are they presenting this to patients in a way that they're getting maximum adoption with their with the cases that they're seeing in the clinic? Yes, we definitely have our leaders in the clubhouse. There's uh, about a handful of five that are really just have just decided that this is how they're going to offer their home exercise program. So I think it starts at evaluation or the first visit. And I think it's pretty typical for most clinicians to give some form of exercises or homework for everybody. And what they're doing is they're saying, you know, we are you know, moving towards uh, you know, new progression of our home exercise programs here at the clinic. Uh, what we're doing is we're using an app to, to help monitor you and you know, be able to get feedback to uh, help you get better faster, faster, better, and cheaper. I mean, that's that's the sales points for the patient to get the buy-in. Um, and, you know, it's no additional cost to you. They, we send a text message to the patient in the clinic, right to their phone. Uh, they click on the text message. The text message downloads the app on their phone and everything is delivered right to them. So it's not even extra steps for the patient. It's, it's easier than flipping to page two of a stapled paper with your exercises on it. So, I mean, they click the text, it downloads it, and then we do everything from our side uh, to add the exercises and the reps and adjust things. And then our uh, liaison follows up with them to help with the compliance. And, and it's not, even the, the top clinicians, you know, it's, it, it's a volume thing like it is with anybody else. You know, if we enroll, if they enroll 10 in a month, seven may actually do it. You know, some may never come back to the clinic after their evaluation. We, we know that that happens too. But if you just make that part of your routine and your dialogue, that this is the best way for me to be able to help you and answer your questions and have questions answered to you. And our liaison is an extension of us and a, and a registered therapist that, you know, we interact with daily. And, uh, you know, she will be there to, to help you feel better too. So you don't have to be scared. That's great. The, so with the rollout, um, I, I know when you had said here, um, quite a few patients participating in this. I think you just mentioned seven out of 10. I have something about 65 patients participating last month, which is great. Um, can you talk about revenue, revenue potential? And because I've seen a great disparity, I've talked with owners who said, this isn't worth it. And I've also talked with the other end of the spectrum where owners are saying they're, they're, they're doing um, what I might deem like over-optimistic revenue potential. Um, so can you talk about, you know, just shed some light on reality, what is really going on uh, for your practice and what it really means? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say our average patient so far um, that's enrolling, like I said, yeah, about 65 patients we had enrolled last month. And I think we're limited by some of the insurers that still haven't rolled out here. I mean, the biggest one being Blue Cross, which is a big, you know, they're a big supporter of a lot of the remote therapeutic monitoring. They've done some of the venture capital funding um, for some of this, but they haven't, you know, expanded to the state of South Carolina yet because Blue Cross is a little fractured, although they are participating in some other states right now. Um, but, you know, that's a big commercial provider that gives us a lot of our younger insurance-based patients that, that aren't cash-based. And I think that if we can break down that wall, we will get additional patients in that younger demographic that uh, participate at a higher clip. So right now, you know, we're, we're really bound to a lot of our Medicare patients or Medicare-based patients um, 
and traditional red, white, and blue Medicare, because again, some of the replacement advantage plans aren't uh, participating yet either. So I think that that slows down how many we have, but I think we will be able to ramp up and be able to easily uh, include more insurances as they are participating. United Healthcare recently um, started uh, reimbursing for that, and they don't reimburse for anything. So that's uh, and uh, that's been that's been great for us to to be able to continue our dialogue with them. So I, I think that you know I, I don't ever I, I did not go into this envisioning. If you're envisioning this to save your clinics and be a you know an income generator for the long term, I think you're you're being a little misled overall. Um, you know, I, I think that you should do it to improve adherence with the patients, to get better faster, have better satisfaction, better outcomes, and not lose patients and have them drop off. Um, I think a, a, it helps offset a small amount of the steep losses we had from uh, the PTA cuts last year, and I've. You know, and and then I firmly believe still that you know we're this is the carrot right now, but you will it will become the stick in the future, and you'll be you know deducted for for not participating in this. So you might as well hit the ground running with it. Um, from a from a strict strict number standpoint, I'd say if you know you we're probably getting after our cost share with uh, with our partner right now. I you know I bet we get in the. Fifty to sixty dollar range for every visit that you get um, a, a month, and I would say our average participant that is participating pretty actively is doing two to three months worth of limber, um, and you can continue for thirty days after discharge to kind of monitor them. So if you have those patients that are hesitant to step away or step down, I think it's a good way to help see how they do on their own, and that they, you know, you can show them that they, they can continue on their own and not need to be in therapy. So I think that's another sales point to, uh, you know, for the clinicians and the patients. Sounds like a 120 to $180 in additional revenue. Yes. Great. Um, awesome. So faster, better, cheaper, loved what you said about that. You talked a, a lot about, um, compliance, which I think is, uh, yeah, very smart way to look at it. I have a really tough one here, Brad, and you don't have to answer this. Um, but, uh, yeah, hang in there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, um, so the, the, and the, this is probably a controversial take, um, and I've heard it mainly, um, in the cash pay circles within, uh, physical therapy and we'll go cash pay in all conservative care that because, so we had, um, Medicare cuts and, you know, all the other insurance companies following suit that now we're going back to Medicare again. And ultimately, are we shooting ourselves in the foot long-term by providing more of our care remote? And are we undervaluing what we're doing in the clinic? I have some specific thoughts on that, but I'm most interested in how you thought through that process um, as well. And if you have thoughts, awesome. If you don't, no worries at all, because it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I that's obviously, it, it's a, a loaded question for everything. And there's, you know, it's uh, pretty volatile overall. I mean, my, my stance on it is we don't have to shoot ourselves in the foot anymore. It's been long done with us for 23 consecutive years. If I talk to any of the owners of the practices that I've uh, worked for and when they started going back to the nineties, the and I, I think we're long past the, we're on the backside of the, uh, the, the peak of that hill. 
I, I think that, you know, we can try to stop the, the snowball of this reaction of, you know, all of the, the things that you talked about in your prior uh, podcast talking about the, you know, the state of healthcare. And I, I think that we, we just need to be able to do what we can to, to survive and continue to operate um, within whatever the environment that is changing. Um, if you don't adapt, you're going to end up on the bitter or you're going to end up on the, you know, the outside looking in, uh, you know, I, I think from, I really see all of physical therapy just continuing to uh, kind of pivot towards three different directions. And I don't necessarily think it's the best thing for the state of the country or for the healthcare, but, you know, I, I see these in all these different states, I've been fortunate enough to practice and I watch these hospital systems swallow up one hospital after another and take more and more under the hospital umbrella, not just for physical therapy, but physician care. And I mean, the, the small private practice primary cares are almost completely gone and absent. Um, it's orthopedic practices are, are bought up too, and, and they refer and are incentivized and they hire more people to bring it in house. Um, so, I mean, that's where a lot of those post-surgical ones and a lot of the, the low hanging fruit for the hospitals is going to go. Your, your second category is going to be your venture capitalist run factory farms. And I think that, you know, even if those companies don't want to, they're going to continue to accept 50, 60, 70, $80 reimbursements and continue to become more and more farms to, to with, with smaller footprints, you know, 1,000, 2,000 square foot offices and facilities with limited equipment and lots of exercises. And, you know, the, and, and then that's where your work comp is going to go. That's where your Medicaid's probably going to end up with if they get any care at all, that's where your lower end plans are going to go. And then, you know, you, you can't try to compare yourself if you're going to be a cash paced, the third category of those, which is cash-based and niche market-driven physical therapy. I, you, you can't try to lump yourself in with those two. Um, I think even the cash pay niche market side will continue to develop and expand and they'll have their skill sets and there'll be a subset of people that value their time and money. And I do think that that'll be able to grow and we'll use health savings accounts and flexible savings accounts towards that. But, um, and, and people will foster that and see the value in our care and that, that driven care, but you're only going to reach a subset of the population with that. You're, you're, you're ex whether you're trying to or not, you know, those are going to become there's, just like food deserts they talk about with grocery stores and inner cities and other areas. It's going to be the same thing for healthcare deserts. You're going to be in affluent suburbs. You're going to be in pe people with discretionary income. You're going to be close to CrossFit gyms. You're going to be close to bar classes where, where you can attract the other people that prioritize that and value that. Um, if the private practice in my sense is going to continue to exist and we're going to be stuck in the current healthcare model that we have, I, I feel that we have to be able to take risks on things because we, we aren't making the rules right now. We don't have our fair share at the table. We aren't there where they're doing ICD-10 codes, where they're making CMS rules. Our lobbies have not historically been strong enough. I mean, we've stemmed some losses, but we haven't made gains. We've got seven to 9% inflation. And like you said, 4.4% cuts again next year. It's, uh, you know, so we, we have to be able to take what we can get and try to be able to adapt. And, you know, I, I think that RTM isn't a way of viewing it to shoot in the foot for that model if it's viable. But um, I, I don't know if the, the longstanding 
outpatient insurance-based model um, is going to be a viable option in 10 to 15 years, unless you're one of those three categories of niche market, venture capital, or hospital. Brad, that, that was probably one of the top three hardest questions I've ever asked uh, on the podcast, 200 plus episodes, and uh, really appreciate your bravery and courageousness for not giving me a, a cop-out answer there. So uh, hopefully everybody was able to listen to that and, and process it. Uh, yeah, I greatly appreciate you, you, you putting yourself on the line there. That was, that was awesome, man. Um, any other, so one final thought here that I'd love your viewpoint on, um, we have lots of listeners, this, you know, we'll get a, a thousand plus downloads in the first 24 hours, typically a conservative care, private practice owner, um, that is looking at RTM. And we know just from the adoption numbers that it, that it is, we are behind, um, so if I'm a small private practice owner, maybe I have one clinic, two clinics, a couple clinicians, how do I go through this? Where, where should I start? Can you provide me with some sort of encouragement to get the ball rolling on RTM and adopting it in my practice? Yeah. I mean, the, obviously I would just start with Google, Googling your research on the different companies that you can look at and see what really caters to your model. Um, I, you know, if you, even if you're a one or two clinic office, you, you probably don't want to get into the high-end infrastructure ones because you don't have a lot of you know, dispensable income at your disposal. So you probably want to cater towards some of the, the ones that are going to uh, you know, provide some cost share for you without a lot of like upfit or wearable cost upfront. Um, and I, I think that you know, if you go ahead and look at um, like a limber like we decided to go with, I think that you know, that's a limber health is its own website. I think they, uh, you know, do an excellent job explaining it. Um, all of these companies will set up zoom calls with you. Um, they will, in many cases, depending on your size, they'll come up, come to you, um, physically and, and kind of show you this, depending on which regions of the country you're in. Um, or if you're not in 80 inches of snow in parts of the, the country over the last few weeks, um, I think that you know that that's probably the first thing is, is then go through just like you would sampling an EMR uh, switch with with the different companies that offer that is just go through and listen to their sales pitches, listen to them, and then see which ones um, you know fit the style of your clinicians and, and how you treat. If you have ones that need to be hands on and they have to be involved, then maybe the higher dollar amount one that you retain is better for you if you know you're going to want to do all the legwork anyways. If if you feel like your clinicians are spread thin and you don't have any ability to do that, then maybe you need something that isn't going to pay you as much per patient, but is worth engaging the patient, having that retention, having exposure to it, um, but also, you know, being able to help yourself grow. And I think for, you know, where my practice is at, at and having those, uh, you know, very characteristics that, you know, we really found a sweet spot in the middle with, uh, with limber for us where it's, you know, we, we're doing okay on, on the revenue side and we're still moving forward from the technology side. Awesome. Brad, this has been amazing. You covered so much for us around RTM, very much uh, appreciative of the way you talked about how you thought through the process for uh, selection and also rollout with change management. This has been great. Uh, any parting words here for, uh, for your first podcast? Thank no, you. I I appreciate you being the first one to invite me on. 
I, I think I told you when we met that everybody always told me I had the face for radio and that my dream was always to do the, uh, the movie preview entrances. So that was, uh, to be able to go back and listen to myself on radio will be, uh, to, to the, the first validation to see if this is my, my future career. So unplanned, did you have a, a movie line, a promotion line that you've always wanted to read? Oh, uh, I mean, just, just the, the, the main ones that are like, you know, for, well, what used to be on network TV is that you'd be leading up at the end of, or the end of summer for the beginning of football season. And they would be showing you the, the show previews to be able to do coming this fall. Nice. And that, and that would, that, that's really what always sold me because I was hooked. Well done, man. Brad, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for being on here. Yeah. Thanks for the time. Hi listeners. I think I might have something that you're interested in. Uh, if you are a listener of this podcast, I'm assuming that you're an owner or an aspiring practice owner. And my question for you is what's the most pressing thing that you're wondering about in growing your practice? So essentially, if you could ask me any question, what would that be? You know, is it something around personnel? Like, you know, how do I handle when team members ask for a raise? Is it something around marketing? Like, should I be advertising on TikTok? Or how often should I be emailing my past patients? Is it something in finance or practice growth? Well, if you have a question, wouldn't it be great if you could get an immediate answer from me to your question? And I think I have something that you might be interested in if that does fit the case for you, I uh, might be able to help you out. I'm hosting a live Q&A session for private practice owners, and you'll be able to hop on the call and uh, unmute yourself, have your camera on if you prefer, and ask me any question that you might have related to practice growth. Absolutely nothing is out of bounds. And uh, the the deal is you just need to register for the call. I think we have a limitation on how many people can get in. Um, we are, this is something new that we're launching, uh, specifically to the grow your practice podcast, but you do need to register. So there's likely a link, um, here or in the, uh, getbreakthrough.com page. So you can go there or look in the show notes here for the link, but you do need to register for the next live Q and a session. So what's your most pressing question? You make, make sure that you write that down. What's stopping you from growing? your practice and the way that you want to grow it. And then join me in the next live Q&A session and we'll make sure that you get your questions answered. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.